we had that uh, great uh, little slide presentation, little reminder uh, of what our North Cares projects look like. And if you are new, uh, we have we call these North Cares projects because we had a meeting here at the church. We invited some folks to come and invited the city of Scottsdale to come, and we just simply asked them, you know, what are your needs? And there was a young woman, um, those of you around, you know the story, she came representing the city, and she told us a story about uh, people in Scottsdale uh, uh, that their homes, the front uh, yards or the paint on their houses or something has gotten bad, it's gotten weathered, uh, and uh, the city of Scottsdale has an ordinance that says your houses look nice. And so uh, if, if their houses get run down, the city will come out and they'll give them a, a warning. And then if they don't get it fixed, they'll come out and fine you. They'll stick this little deal on your door and it's a fine that you have to pay. Now imagine yourself, you're an elderly person, you're on a fixed income and you have to make a decision some month, do I uh, not buy medicine this month, do I not buy food this month in order to get my yard fixed up? Uh, how, how, do, how do we make those decisions? And so this young woman from the city is telling us this story and she starts crying. And, and she says, I'm the one that puts the sticker on their doors. I'm the one that, uh, that gives them the fine. And, and so she's sitting at the table in my office crying and I said to her, how about this? Don't find elderly people anymore. Don't find families that have special needs, uh, disabilities. Just give us their addresses and we'll take care of them for you. You don't need to ever find them uh, again. And so that started our North Cares projects. And you saw that trailer in the last slide. That belongs to the city of Scottsdale. And, and they put North Bible Church on their trailer as one of their sponsors because uh, they don't have to find those people anymore. They just simply give us their addresses and we go and in the name of Jesus. We don't go asking for anything. We don't go selling anything. We don't require they come to our church. We simply go and serve them because that's what Jesus would do. And we want to be the hands and feet of Christ uh, in our community. So we get to do that North Cares project. And it reminded me of the the mission statement that we have for North Bible Church, and we summarize our mission statement by uh, with three things, that we're committed to love God, to love one another, and to love the world. And so it all begins with lo love God, that, that we have a commitment that we want to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We want to live that out. We want to uh, be all in. We want God to have our whole life and we want to love him and we want to express his love to the world. And so we're have a, we have a commitment to, this, uh, uh, to, to love God with everything that we have. And because of God's love and because we try to live out God's love that Jesus said in John 13, he said, I want you to love one another, but I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And so when it comes to love one another, Jesus set the bar. He said, I want you to love one another the way I have loved you. And, and he loved us by giving himself for us. And so we want to try as best we can as, as we love God that we want to love each other the way Christ has loved us. 
best. And so we try to figure out ways to serve each other in our church here at North and, and how can we come alongside each other. So we have a fund that we call the Shepherd's Fund and we help families that are in our church that are in crisis and, and we help other folks as much as we possibly can, but we use that to serve each other and in a variety of ways, as Jeff mentioned, the North Cares Project uh, uh, a week ago Saturday included uh, the home of one of our own church members, and, and that was a special uh, thing to be able to do. And, and so we get to give ourselves in that way, and Jen and I have experienced that uh, in our own lives, that, that a lot of you know that we've kind of gone through this uh, season in our lives. My mom passed away in December, and then my sister passed away just a few weeks ago from uh, pancreatic cancer. So we were in this journey, uh, and during this time, her kids came to, my sister's kids came to help take care of her. I mean, they did everything. It was remarkable to watch uh, serving alongside the hospice workers that came uh, to her house. And, and uh, but you guys brought meals to them uh, on a regular basis. And so they always had food uh, in, at their condo because you brought food uh, to, to my family. I'm grateful for that. See, that's what it looks like to love one another, doesn't it? And so we kind of always try to give ourselves away, and then we got to experience you guys giving to us in a, in a really tangible way. And then we had a memorial service for my sister here, and most of you guys didn't even know her, but you put on a memorial service, and you brought food, and you took care of things, and it was just remarkable to watch. And, and it was such an incredible picture for Jenna and me of what it means to love God and then to love one another. That's, that's how it works. That's how we wanna live our lives. And, and then we love the world and we talked about the North Cares Project and, and we try to go out into our community. And, and so we'll go a little further in Phoenix and, and we'll go down to the Duck uh, ministry, which is downtown urban community for kids, and, and we'll try to help uh, these kids in an after-school program in the city and to make sure that they have the books they need and the backpacks and the socks and, and things that they need so that they can get an education. And, and again, we just simply go in the name of Jesus, or, or we, get, we get involved at the Phoenix Rescue Mission, and we try to come alongside them and, and support them. And, and then we move beyond that, and we work with Living Water International trying to dig wells for villages in, in Guatemala that have never had fresh water. Or, or we have fuel the mission right out of our church that will go to India and uh, Ecuador and other places and do building projects for, for people. Um, and we go in the name of Jesus because we've been called to love God, to love one another, and to love the world. We have Ubiya right out of our church again who has adopted a, an orphanage in Tanzania. And we get to provide dresses and shoes and and different uh, essentials for these orphan children that live uh, at this orphanage. And we get to be part of that because God has called us uh, to love the world. And so we try to live that out in as many ways as we possibly can to love God and to love one another and, and to love the world. And so we're gonna start a little series uh, today and we're just simply calling this series Generosity. It's really quiet in here. Generosity is the series we're starting today, and I know that a lot of you, when I say generosity, you think money. Uh, you think, oh, he's going to hit us up for money. He's going to talk to us about money, and maybe, but not this morning. But what we're going to talk about this morning is how do we live a generous life, and why? Why do we live 
a generous life. So that's our goal today, to talk about what it means to be truly generous and to live a generous life. So let me start off with a little quote from a a lady uh, named Lynn Twist who wrote a book called The Soul of Money. And see if this resonates a little bit with you. For me, and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought is not, uh, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something, and by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts, and we wake up to that reverie of lack. This internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity, lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudice, and our arguments with life. Oh, man. That's how we live a lot. The first thought that we have when we wake up in the morning is, I didn't get enough sleep, or if you're me, it's, what time can I go to bed tonight, you know? But we begin our days that way, and then it just goes from there. It's that not enough life that we live. And what God calls us to is a life that's the opposite of that. God calls us to a life of generosity. And and so here's what we want to talk about today. It's simply this, that when it comes to generosity, God made the first move. And he made the second move. And he made the third move that God is a God of generosity. Uh, The moment that God gave life to mankind to the ultimate gift of salvation through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, God has set the supreme example of radical, sacrificial giving for his followers. God is a picture of generosity. He's the picture of generosity that we need to look at. And, And so let's just start with this verse. John 316. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yeah, we all know that verse. But listen to this again. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his only son that God gave everything that he had. He gave everything that he could. He gave the greatest gift that he could possibly give. He didn't hold back anything. That God in his generosity, God in his love for us sent his only son. He gave us the very best he had. He gave us the greatest gift that he possibly could. That God, God demonstrated his generosity by sending Jesus. And not just sending him but sending him to die on a cross so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is a generous God. So if we want to consider generosity, we start with a God who loves us so much that he holds nothing back for us. 
that he gives us everything that he has. He gives us the greatest gift that he could possibly give. So 2 Corinthians gives us the second thing that God did. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, it says this, I, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And so now we go from the generosity of God to the generosity of Jesus. And what the Apostle Paul wants us to know about Jesus is that he was rich, that he had everything, but he became poor for our sake. You know, in ancient times, uh, commanders would give, uh, you know, motivational speeches to their troops just before they would go into battle. And often when they would give them these speeches and they would ride up and down, and you've seen it in Braveheart and all the other movies, they would ride up and down in front of their troops and they'd have this great motivational message uh, for their troops before they would go into battle. And often when they would do these messages, they would give these messages, they would tell the story of some great hero that had gone before them, some hero that had won a great battle some hero that had made the supreme sacrifice, maybe given his life, and, and it was the greatest motivation for an army. It was the greatest motivation for these troops as they prepared to go into battle because they had the story of a great hero. And that's probably why Paul, the apostle Paul, gives us the story of his great hero. It's why Paul turns his attention to Jesus when he asked the, the Philippians to set the bar higher in their life together, Paul would appeal to the most generous person who would ever walk the face of the earth, and he says this in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so here's what the Apostle Paul is saying to the troops before they go into battle. He's saying, I want you to have the mind of Christ. I want you to have the same attitude that, that he did. And here is who Jesus is, that he was the very essence of God. He was the very form of God. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. Jesus. He's the picture. He's the image, the visible image of God for us. And Jesus had all of the glory, um, all, everything that went to being in the heavenly places with the Father. He had all of that, and he didn't consider that equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he opened his hands. He gave it all away. He emptied himself. He became obedient. He humbled himself, even to the point uh, going to the cross the point of death, death on a cross, that Jesus did all of that for us so that we might be saved. Not for himself, but he didn't hold his own glory so tightly. But the most generous person that ever walked the face of the earth is Jesus Christ, who didn't consider his equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he opened his hands and he emptied himself for our sake. So if we want to know what generosity looks like, we look at a generous God who sent his only son, who gave us the very best that he had. And then we look at Jesus, who had all of the glory of the Godhead, but didn't consider equality with God something to be held onto, 
but he emptied himself. He let go of it and emptied himself. So if we want a definition of generosity, look at Jesus. If we want to know what that looks like, look at who Jesus is. But it's not, it doesn't end there because Paul shifted the picture back to our Heavenly Father. In verses 9 through 11, he said this, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So here's the picture of Jesus. He went from the highest to the lowest and back to the highest. It's the great hymn of a generous giver. It's a reminder that of what great sacrifice there is in being generous. And it's the promise of a generous person. Uh, a generous person is never lost from the sight of God. And here's what Jesus t teaches us, that we don't have to worry about position, status. We don't have to worry about getting what we deserve. But what we worry about is giving ourselves away in the name of Jesus, that live a generous life. And we let God do all the rest. We let God worry about what uh, what titles. We let God worry about what recognition. We let God worry about any of those things, but what we're called to do is to live a life of generosity, to live a life that's open, belongs to him, because he's been generous to us. Not because we're so great, but because we serve a generous God, because Jesus has been generous to us. He's given us everything that he could possibly give us. Well, then we go from a generous father to gener generosity of Jesus. And then it sort of shows up with us. And the example that I thought was pretty helpful this morning is out of Luke chapter 19, pretty familiar story. It's the story of Zacchaeus. And I know that you all feel like you know Zacchaeus, right? And when I say Zacchaeus, you think flannel board, um, you know, you think of a song, he was a wee little man, and you, know, you think of all this stuff, but, but Zacchaeus' life is a picture of what it means to encounter the generosity of Jesus. So here's what happens. Jesus enters Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on the account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Thanks for the authenticity, Luke. I'm sure Zacchaeus appreciated that. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. So here's the picture that we have of Zacchaeus. We have Zacchaeus who was very wealthy, very powerful, but more than anything else in his life, he wanted to see Jesus. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard the stories. He had heard about how Jesus loved him, uh, people. He'd, he had heard the stories of Jesus' generosity, and he was so determined to see Jesus, but no one would let him through the crowd. They all hated him. He was a chief tax collector, not a regular tax collector, but one of the chief tax collectors. They wouldn't let him through to see Jesus, so he runs ahead of the crowd. He climbs into a tree. This is a desperate person. He climbs into a tree to get a peek at Jesus. Jesus spots him, and Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down. 
because I'm going to your house today. If you lived in the first century, the idea of going to someone's house and sharing a meal was tantamount to saying, I want to be family. I want to be in a relationship with you that's significant. I want us to become like family. I'm going to go to your home. I'm going to share a meal with you today. I'm showing the whole community. I'm showing the whole city of Jericho how important you are to me that we're going to enter into this relationship. So I'm going to go to your house today. And the generosity of Jesus is profound because the religious people, the people that were supposed to know better, the, the people that judged other people, they, they were angry at him. They thought, wow, he doesn't even know who this guy is. What, what, who is Jesus? What kind of mess is he? He's going to the house of a notorious sinner. And Jesus said, it's not about my reputation. It's about my generosity. My heart is open to tax collectors and sinners. And he calls Zacchaeus down. He enters into a relationship with Zacchaeus. And then listen to what happens. In verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, came to seek and save the lost. Okay, there's a huge problem with the tail end of this story, right? Because there's no place in this story that Zacchaeus prayed the right prayer. Seriously. You're supposed to pray a sinner's prayer, right? You're supposed to say some words that, that will show everybody that you get it, that you're a sinner, and that you need Christ's forgiveness, and you pray it just right, and that means that you're a Christian, and that means that you're okay now, and Zacchaeus doesn't do any of that. What Zacchaeus does is show us that his life has been transformed by the generosity of Jesus. And so he spontaneously says, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. And if I ever defraud anybody, if I ever cheat anybody again, I'm going to give them four times the amount that, that they've lost just to show them that it was an accident, just to show them that, that I mean to make it right. I'm going to do all of that because I've never experienced the kind of generosity that Jesus has showed me. I've never experienced the kind of love, the kind of acceptance that I've just had in Jesus. I didn't know it was possible to live this kind of life. And it's out of the generosity of Jesus that Zacchaeus is transformed and he responds in kind. He is generous because of who Jesus is in his life. He, Jesus didn't give him a list of things to do and say, if you really want to be a good Christian, here's the list. Here's all the stuff that I want you to check off the list as you go through. But what happened is that Jesus entered into a relationship. He opened up his life to Zacchaeus. He, he let Zacchaeus see how generous he was, how loving he was, and Zacchaeus' life was forever transformed and changed, and in response to that, he wanted to be generous. He wanted to respond to Jesus. You see, giving is not just a random act, but giving is a response to the generosity of God in our lives. So here's what generosity looks like. Generosity is so important because it forces us to be honest about what's most important in our lives. 
Generosity forces us to really consider, to really think about what's the most important thing in our, my life. It, it, I can say that I'm a follower of Jesus, but generosity says, okay, let's see. What does that mean to you? What's that look like? Are you really willing to follow me? Is your life really open? Or are there other gods in your life? Are there other idols in your life? Or are there other things in your life that take precedent over me? Generosity calls the question in our lives and we have to deal with what really is important to us. What really matters? Because if we want to be a follower of Jesus, you know what he says? He says, you got to be all in. If we want to live out of the generosity of who Jesus is, he says, you got to be all in. It all matters. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 and 19 say this, 17 to 19, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of what is truly life. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? What does it look like to have our lives transformed by the generosity of Christ? It calls us to a life of good works, of serving, of yes, of sharing, but to be rich in good works. James 1.27 helps us with this a little bit. It says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To visit orphans and widows, to care about them. Again, if you lived in the first century, the most helpless people uh, in their culture were, were orphans and widows. The people who died the youngest died the fastest struggled the most, were orphans and widows. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, whose life had been transformed by the generosity of Jesus, he says, you want to know what real religion looks like? It it doesn't look like saying the right stuff. Uh, It doesn't even look like just writing a check now and then. But what it really looks like is caring about those who are the most helpless being generous with our lives, being generous with our time, being generous with our hearts, and living out of the generosity that we've experienced in who Jesus is. (laughs) So some of you might be thinking, okay, Larry, but how does this help me? Because I came to church for you to help me today. I want to sing really cool songs and I want to enjoy all of that and then I want you to tell me some stuff that's going to make me feel better so that I can go hit my week and I'll feel better and have a little bit of, you know, encouragement and support as I go do battle with my job or my family or whatever it is. And so how, how does this help me? And you see, it's, it's really the problem that we have uh, in our culture. We come to church um, and, and we want somebody to help us feel better. But when we, and we forget the idea about church is that the church is the, the church of Jesus Christ. We're the body of Jesus and he is the head uh, of the church. And our role in life is to, is to follow him. Our role in life is to serve him. And so we come as the church in order to better serve Jesus. We come to be reminded minded about who he is and how he's called us to live our lives. We don't come
come to church just to feel better. I hope you do sometimes. That would be nice. But that's not who we are. We come to church to be reminded of the generosity of God, the great generosity of who Jesus is, and the generosity that he's called us to. We come to church to be reminded that we're the body of Christ. We're the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. And Jesus has reminded us that we're the light of the world. And he says to go into the world and do good so that your Father in heaven is glorified. Our job is to lift up Jesus. So generosity is more than random acts of giving. And to help us visualize this a little bit, I've got a family and a video that I'd like to introduce you to. My favorite quote of all time is by Frank D. Gurman. comes into the house, stop getting fat and say, this was God's own time in the United Nations meeting. It took me decades to figure this out. There's no physical thing that you can buy that's actually going to give you true peace and happiness. And the pure joy that will come from a, a rescue or a ransom of a child's life is probably the most satisfying thing you can imagine. We talk about adoption. We tell them they're adopted, and we kind of tell them, you know, being born into a family you don't even decide that it kind of happens biologically, but when you're adopted, you kind of look out at the whole world and think, you think that they don't really know the gravity of them being rescued or saved, 
You know, um, I can say this honestly, I, I have never met an unhappy, generous person. That uh, happiness isn't built around what you have, but happiness is built around who you are and the openness and the bigness of your heart. You know, the word sacrifice is difficult for us to accept at times. And yet that's exactly what we must do when we practice generosity. We sacrifice something of value to us for the good of another because we love them. You see, this is what differentiates generosity from giving. Giving can be done begrudgingly and devoid of love, but generosity comes out of a heart that's filled with the love of Christ. True generosity is always initiated by love because God is love. As our hearts become molded into his likeness, we'll naturally move toward a life of greater generosity.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are so generous with us. Lord, it's overwhelming sometimes and we, we reach back to that moment that we recognized how much you loved us, uh, how generous that you are, how generous Jesus has been in, in not considering equality with you but to empty himself. And now you call us, Lord, to, uh, to a generous life that flows out of your generosity to us. It's not because of us, but it's because of you, Lord. And so I simply ask, Lord, today uh, that you would, uh, Lord, move anything out of our life that keeps us from being generous, that keeps us from living out of the fullness that you have given us, the, uh, the gifts, the blessings, the things that you've filled our lives with, Lord, uh, that you would use those things to make us generous in the lives of people around us people around the world. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.